Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Hope at Crossroads. We're here to serve you in any way that we can. For more information about our resources or our church, you can check out hope at crossroads.org. Online, you can find access to other resources like devotionals and study books. Thanks again for joining us. And now let's start this week's message. As we take these offerings this morning, I want you to see on the screen how they take offering in a little village of Malawi, Africa. So if you'll watch the video as the offering plates are passed today. to prepare you because we may do that sometime in the future. Uh, When I asked one of the tribal leaders why they do it that way, (laughs) he said, we don't wait for the king to come and get his gift. We take our gifts to the king. I'm going to do my best to share what Uh, the message for today, which is Hebrews chapter 12. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn there. As most of you know, if you've been here at Crossroads for a while, uh, when I come back from a trip out of the country, uh, it rocks me to my core. And uh, this trip to Africa has, uh, to Malawi, has also done that once again. So I'll be sharing some of that probably in greater context at a later date. But I did want to mention a few things to you by way of just update as you're turning to Hebrews chapter 12. I want to say thank you to uh, Heath for preaching last week and our students for leading in worship. I heard they did a fantastic job, and so I'm grateful for that. Uh, we, uh, I got back yesterday at 10.30 a.m. our time after leaving a Friday morning, 7 a.m. Malawi time, which would have been midnight Thursday night your time. So uh, I'm not sure what time zone I'm in. So somebody said go to about 1 o'clock in preaching today. I'm not sure if that's 1 o'clock our time or 1 o'clock Malawi time. So you'll just have to stick around and find out. But it was an incredible uh, trip. I'm praying that many of you will join me when we go back probably next August. Um, People are hungry for the gospel. Oh, that we were as hungry for the gospel here as they are in other places on the planet. Um, The more I travel, I still believe we live in a wonderful country, but uh, somebody said in our prayer time with the choir this morning and our worship team that our country needs prayer. We definitely need prayer. Uh, We are are 
we are messed up. We are messed up. And the only hope uh, is the gospel, Jesus Christ. And passing that to the next generation. At the last count that I can give you and feel that it's with integrity, uh, over those 10 days of being on the ground, we saw 162 people receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I'm blown away. Praise the Lord. Uh, in one group that I shared with at the end, toward the end of the, our trip there, when I gave the invitation, uh, I, I, so many people were responding. I looked at our missionary, Mark Zimbiri, who sends his welcome. I may send, show you that video in the next few weeks. Uh, but I looked at him and I said, Pastor Mark, I think I need to just ask everybody to sit back down because I'm not sure they understood what I said. And he said, no, Pastor Jack. They understood what you said. They're just so hungry for Jesus. Well, huh, I'll tell you more later because I won't, won't weep up here all morning. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, last week, Heath talked about Hebrews 11, which I guess means next week we'll look at Hebrews 13. We'll see. I'm not sure we're going to get very far in chapter 12 this morning because there's a lot in the book of Hebrews. But last week... I know Heath shared with you uh, in the great hall of faith, many people who were mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, actually 18 people that the writer of Hebrews mentioned by name to illustrate their faith in God. There are many more that he or she could have mentioned, but we know that he mentioned, he or she mentioned 18 of those, and he talked about the prize, chasing after the prize. He also talked about in chapter 11, the price that those people were willing to pay that others would not pay. And not knowing where they were going, how long it would take, or what conditions. Please don't misunderstand what I'm getting ready to tell you. This is not about uh, me. This is not about patting me on the back. But I can't help but think about in one of our conversations this past week in Malawi. My wife knows this better than anybody who is my partner in ministry, my my uh, better half, my all in all outside of Jesus is my wife. I could not have gone and been away without her uh, support and her prayers. And I was telling Pastor Mark, and he was actually telling some other missionaries, uh, some of the new people on this team that I was with, he said, some of you don't know that when Pastor Jack came here in 2017, uh, he had no idea who I was which was true. Uh, I had gotten an email from him uh, that I had blown off actually for probably a year and uh, through the wonderful encouragement of our, my wife. Don't you love your spouse? If you're with your spouse today, just lean over and give them a little rub on the shoulder, a little nudge, and just say, you're, you're sweet. I love you. I love you so much. I know you don't always feel like that, man. I know, I know, I know. But at her urging, she said, you at least need to be professional and courteous and answer this guy's email. I didn't know who he was. I didn't know if he was a missionary. I didn't know if it was one of those emails we all get from Africa where they, you know, they're looking, you, you, you have a relative in Africa you didn't know about, you know, and they've left you $12 million and they want you to get collected. So I didn't know, I really didn't know. And in 2017, myself and three other guys that I talked to got on a plane uh, only having communicated through email and I think maybe one Skype uh, video communication, 
And we landed not knowing what we were going to eat, where we were going to stay, where we were going to go. We just felt so compelled that God said to go. And then to think all these years later to see how many people on just this trip received the Lord. Uh, it's mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. Say, so what does that have to do with me or have to do with our church? It has a lot to do with you and a lot to do with our church. Because God is calling us out, I believe, into deeper waters and to be people of faith. And the writer of Hebrews encourages us with a few things that I want to share with you this morning. So let's look at it. We'll just read the first couple of verses because that may be as far as we get. Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin... Some translations say every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand at the throne of God. Let's pray. Lord, I pray this morning. Please, Jesus, allow all of us, to see you this morning for who you really are. I pray that you'd speak through the power of your word that's living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword, that it would pierce to the heart and marrow. And Lord, you would put your finger on things in my life, on things in the lives of these friends in this room that will help us be better followers of Jesus, for that is why we are here. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for these friends. Thank you for their prayers while I was away, Lord. Thank you for what you're doing in the life of our church. We stand in awe of you today, for you're the great I am in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the first thing that we see there, just three three points. i got to keep it pastoral, right? The first point this morning is this. Uh, What can we observe? Well, we observe something right in that very first verse, and it's a great cloud of witnesses that we have. And if you study that word cloud, it's talking about a large group of witnesses. Again, the writer only mentions 18 By name in the previous chapter, by faith Abraham, by faith Noah, by faith Moses, all these lists of people, this litany of people, 18, the great hall of faith, some people call it, in the last chapter. But there are a bigger cloud of witnesses, he is saying. And he starts this chapter with that word that we love, therefore, which means therefore in light of everything I've said up to this point, therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses. You ever think about who those witnesses are? I said that many times from this pulpit, from this platform, the cloud of witnesses just that have gone before us, that have been a part of the Crossroads family, the Crossroads church is a great cloud of witnesses. We all could stand up and probably mention at least one person who maybe has gone on to be with the Lord, who was a great, is in that great cloud of witnesses that have impacted our community, that have been a part of the DNA, the fiber, the tapestry of this church, that has, because of who we are in Jesus and who we are together, it's because of those people, that great cloud of witnesses. And as you study that, and I studied to try to give you an answer, I don't have an answer for you this morning. Some people argue, is is the writer saying that this great cloud of witnesses is watching us? I don't know. When we do a sermon series about heaven, I'll, I'll tell you. There's been debate. If people in heaven could watch and see what we're doing, they also could watch and see what's happening in America. 
And I kind of guess if they were watching and seeing what was happening in America, they would probably be troubled and they probably would be sorrowful and they probably would be sad. And yet the Bible says that there is no sorrow, there is no weeping, there is only joy in heaven. So what is he talking about? How can this great cloud of witnesses exist but not necessarily know everything that's going on? I think what the writer is saying, if you do some word studies on that word cloud and that word witnesses, he's talking about those people that have gone before us that can witness to faith, they can witness to endurance, they can stand up and witness and give testimony and say, I know you can put your faith in an almighty God because he will see you through. They could stand up and say, I know that though you may be cautious and you may have concerns, you can put your faith in a mighty God who will see you through. That's kind of what he's saying. There's this great cloud of witnesses. So who would those witnesses be? There would be a lot of witnesses in the past. And it's important that we think about that. But, dear friends, I believe there are also a great cloud of witnesses that are in our present. They are watching what we do. Maybe they're the younger folks in this congregation who are watching some of us who are the older folks to watch and see what we do. Are they going to get stressed when we're called to do certain things? Are they going to get weary? Are they going to get worried, concerned? So there may be some of those great cloud of witnesses that are with us. For sure, for sure, there is a great cloud of witnesses beyond those concrete blocks right there that are in the children's area that are a great cloud of witnesses in the present that are watching to see and, and praying about, some of them I know, even though they're young, they're praying about the decisions that we will make as adults for the future of our church. Those are a great cloud of witnesses. But you know what? There's also a great cloud of witnesses outside of our church family in this community. And they're watching. So the identity of these people that the writer of Hebrews is talking about is an interesting group. A great cloud of witnesses. Here I believe he's talking about those who know Jesus. This great cloud of people who have gone before us who know about Jesus. But then he says something very very interesting, not just to remind us what we can observe, but he talks about something kind of interesting. He talks about obstacles. Matter of fact, my translation says this, the New American Standard says, Lay aside every encumbrance and the sin. Some translations say it, obstacles and the sin. I thought about getting a volunteer this morning, because I knew if I tried to do it this morning, I probably would pass out after jet, jet lag. But I thought about getting a volunteer this morning and handing them a backpack and not telling them that inside this backpack were several weights. Some translations say weights. Maybe putting 50, 60 pounds in there and then putting it on their back and just saying, how about you just sprint to the back of the of the worship center and sprint back to the front and see how fast you can run. Because he's getting ready to tell us that's our, that's our objective is to be running. But what slows us down, he says in verse 1, is those encumbrances, those weights and the sin. What are those weights? Well, the weights could be a lot of things. When you think about sin, there are a lot of things that are mentioned in the New Testament, Old and New Testament. I think about Ephesians chapter 2 where Paul mentions all this litany of things that were a part of our life before Christ. Pride and anger and deceit 
and malice and immorality and all these things that he mentions and are mentioned in several books of the New Testament, Old and New Testament, these sins that weigh us down. And oftentimes in the church, especially in the role of the pastor, we talk a lot about those things because they're kind of obvious, right? I mean, those are the obvious things that we can easily point to and say that's sin. And what he says to us is, lay those things down. But he's not just talking about the things that are obvious sins, those things that are bad things, those things that break the heart of God, which is why he mentions two different words there. He says, again, New American Translation says, lay aside the encumbrance and the sin. Some translations say obstacles in the sin. So what, what, are, these, what are these obstacles? Church, hear me. God spoke to me in so many ways over these last 10, 12 days. And you're going to see that fleshed out, I hope, in the life of our church over the next few weeks. Because I, I have been disobedient. Disobedient in reminding us of what our purpose is. What our mission is. And what he's saying is, yes, there are sins. But there are also obstacles. What are the obstacles? The obstacles are choosing good things over God things. So we read that scripture and we automatically think, well, the things that are going to weigh us down in life, the things that are going to slow us down in life, are things that are going to be sinful, things that are going to be bad. I'm here to tell you, and there are people my age and older who can also allude to this and tell you, oftentimes the things that weigh you down are not bad things. They're good things, but they're not God things. Are you tracking with me this morning? If you are, look at your neighbor and say, "Uh uh-huh. Oh, me. Okay, okay. That was all right. That was all right. I know this to be true because I'm guilty of it myself. You say, well, how in the world do you know what the good things are and the God things are? It's a very spiritual word we also don't talk about a lot called discernment. How do you get discernment? You get discernment by prayer. You get discernment by being in God's Word. You get discernment very often times, which is why you hear your pastor ride this car a lot, is you get it a lot in the context of community and fellowship with other believers. God speaks through His Word. God speaks through prayer. God speaks through circumstances. God speaks through the power of community. If you've ever been through experiencing God, you'll remember those are four specific ways that are outlined in Scripture over and over and over and over and over again. And oftentimes it takes community, which is why I love our church. I told our worship team this morning, if I could have packed you guys, if you think I didn't think about you, you're mistaken. I thought about you guys every single day. Every time I stood up to share God's word, I was thinking about you guys because I was representing Crossroads Baptist Church. And you'll have a video in the next few weeks from Pastor Mark Zimbiri that will be thanking you. But that is our challenge sometimes as we get distracted. On good things. You say, give me an example. Oh, do I dare do that? Lord, is that you? Do I dare do that? You can come up with your own. My kids aren't here today. Will is in the Dominican Republic still. Lauren is in town. We'll see her later today before she heads to Virginia. So they're not here. So I'll, I'll be the guinea pig and use me as an example. 
There are many times as parents that sometimes we chose good things for our kids and not God things. It's difficult. If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. It's difficult. I'm not here to hit you over the head because I'd be hitting myself over the head. It's difficult. I need, still need, discernment when I'm speaking into the lives of my kids, your kids, your grandkids, you apply it in your own world to make sure that we're telling them things that are pushing them toward God, not just good things. The worst thing we can have in this church is a good church member. We need godly church members. Amen? Not good church members. Not good people. The world is full of good people. But good people don't don't change anything. God's people is what changes things. And God working through us is what changes things. And so we can so easily get caught up on good things such as, do I go there, Lord? Sports, achievement, academics, anything that we will put in front of God. In the book of Exodus, when Moses is being given the Ten Commandments, and one of them is, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. In our North American mindset, we think that as long as God is number one, and we have two through one hundred on the list, that's okay. That's not what that scripture means. It literally means, if you read it and, and dig into it, it literally is saying, Thou shalt have no other gods before the face of me. In other words, God's saying, I don't want to see any other priority on your list except for me. I'm not saying that's easy. Because we have, in our wonderful lives, we have things like mortgages, tuition, kids, braces, ay, 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 jobs, broken dishwashers. Yeah, I head out of town, and I'm walking out the door to, to fly out the other week, and, you know, first world problem, by the way, first world problem. You know, you go to Malawi, and they're washing their dishes in the river, and you start going, okay, I'm not even going to bring up my prayer request, you know. <laughs> Anybody got a prayer request? You know, uh, y- y- yes, yes, Pastor Mark, could you pray for my dishwasher, you know. But it's so easy for us to get distracted on things that we think are important. Which is why I love getting out of this country. Because I'm reminded about what really is important. We are so tremendously blessed. We have, some of us have no idea how tremendously blessed we are. Materially, financially, family, support groups, church family. The list goes on and on and on. We, we have no idea. We have no idea. And, and I don't have any idea either until I go out, which is why I make myself, whether I like, like it or not. I, I do like it, by the way. I do enjoy going to see what God's doing in other parts of the world. But I'll be honest, when you're on the first leg of a 17-hour plane ride and you've already watched two movies and you've already eaten two meals, and you look at the flight attendant and say, how much longer? And you're thinking an hour, and she goes, sir, you've got 12 more hours. You know, you start wondering, okay, God, is this really you sending me over here or what? So here's the question. Is there a weight in your life you need to lay aside? Maybe I should ask it this way because
if we're all honest, the answer to that question is pretty easy. The answer would be yes. So maybe the question is, what is the weight in your life that you need to lay aside? But see, it's hard to run when there are other things weighing you down. It's hard. And there are worries, concerns. It doesn't mean that, again, those are bad things. It's definitely hard to run when there is some, which is one of the words he mentions, when there is a sin in your life that's weighing you down. Church family, I don't want anything weighing me down. God has a race for me to run. And maybe I'm old enough or maybe I've been on the planet long enough that I really, I mean this with the love in my heart for you because I love you. But I really don't care what you think. I don't care what the world thinks. I have a race God has called me to run. At the end of the day, I will answer to him. As much as I would love for you as my friends to be standing there beside me, speaking on my behalf, going, oh, he did great. He did this great. He did this. He left our church and went on mission. That is irrelevant. God is not going to be looking to you to, to support me or stand in the gap. He'll be looking for one person to stand in the gap for me. It's Jesus Christ. And I'm not telling you just because, and Heath can echo this, just because we're the pastoral people, that it's easy for us. It's not. It's not any more easy for us than it is for you. We have the same things that are trying to knock us off off the path that God has for us. The same things that are trying to run along and jump on our back as we're running the race and weigh us down. So do you. Which is why we need the power of community to pray for one another and encourage one another and be accountable to one another. Then he says this. He talks about the sin and the encumbrance, the weight, the obstacle, these things that so easily, he says, entangles us, which prevent us from doing the latter part of verse 1, which is to run with endurance the race that is set before us. And I love what he says there. He says a couple things. He says, let us run. Let us There's no solo runners in following Jesus. I've harped on it, harped on it, harped on it because I love you. I need you. You need me. We need each other. There is no Lone Ranger Christianity. There's no Lone Ranger Christians. We can learn from each other. I can learn from you. Just because I'm the pastor doesn't mean I'm too smart or too old to learn anything. I need to be learning. And I learn a lot when I go out of the country, which is another reason I go out of the country. Just to be really honest, I learn how much I don't know. I learn how much I'm not willing to sacrifice. We had one pastor. I I, I got so many stories, I'll share them over the next decade. I got one story of one pastor who was there last year. He's been there probably the last couple years. Joey and I spent a lot of time with him a couple years ago. He has planted 28 churches in two years. 28 churches in two years. I'm like, Pastor Gilbert, <laughs> how in the world? He's, and he's still, he's still leading those churches. How in the world do you pastor 28 
churches. Two are in Mozambique across the, the border from Malawi. Two in the country of Mozambique. 28 churches. I said, how in the world do you do that? He said, well, we meet on different days of the week, obviously. And he will ride his bicycle. He will start at church A on Saturday night, ride his bicycle for 12 hours through the night, get to the church of about 50. He will preach to that church that morning, get on his bicycle, pedal to the next church five or six hours. I was ashamed. Oh, man, I thought I sacrificed. He's running the race. God has called him to run. With endurance, let us. Endurance, what is endurance? Endurance is determination. It's the, the real word there means to be undeflected, undistracted. To be singularly focused. He's getting ready to tell us what we're going to be singularly focused on. But that's what that mer- word means. With endurance. And some of you may say this morning, Pastor Jack, well, I am, I am, I am weary. And I'll, I'll be honest, I, I sense that there are many in our church family who, who are weary. And I'm praying for you. Praying for me. And sometimes the reason that we get weary, not all the time, but sometimes the reason we get weary is we are running, but we're running after the wrong thing. And we're running. <laughs> and then when God says to do this or that, we're like, Lord, I'm, I'm, I don't have much energy. I'm tired. I'm weary. Now, not all the time. Don't misunderstand me. Sometimes we're doing a lot of things God has called us to do. Just to be really honest, our staff right now is doing a lot of things God has called us to do. We're about run out, just to be honest. There's some of you guys, we are, I'm, I'm asking personally, pastoral aside for a second, I'm asking you to help us. You, you know we're down a couple of staff people, and there's a multitude of things to be done around here. I'm, I'm asking for your help. If you're interested in helping, see me or Heath after the service. There's a sign-up sheet in the back on many things. I, I'm willing to do anything that needs to be done around here. Hopefully you know that by now, but we need some help. You have a storm come through on Saturday, and there's a whole fence down here that's knocked over that somebody's got to go pick up before you guys show up on Sunday. Don't assume somebody else is going to do that. We need your help. But sometimes we get tired because we're running and we're, we're doing things that we don't need to be running toward. Or maybe we're even running in the wrong direction. Maybe you know this story. Maybe you know this person. Jim Marshall. He was an American former professional football player. He actually also plays a, played as a defensive end for the Cleveland Browns in 1960 in the Minnesota Vikings. He is most famous, or should I say infamous... Because in 1964, he recovered a fumble. And he ran the ball in the wrong direction, 66 yards in the wrong direction, crossed into the end zone, realized he ran the ball in the wrong direction, threw it out of bounds, and because of that, it resulted in a safety for the San Francisco 49ers. And if you're a football sports guy, you probably know that name, Jim Marshall. And you probably know that that's what your mind goes to immediately when you think about him. is the guy who ran in the wrong direction. Church family, we don't have time for any of us to be running in the wrong direction. God has too much for you to do. 
He has too much for you to do, too much for me to do. So what is the objective? The third thing that we see here is the writer tells us what the objective is. I, I love simplification. I love when Scripture kind of boils it down to the brass tacks, the bottom line. What are we supposed to be doing? Here's what he says. Fix your eyes, our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter, some translations say originator and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of God. And that same phrasing that he uses there about fixing our eyes on Jesus, some translations say looking only at Jesus, is the same emphasis he used in the first verse to say priority-wise is Jesus. Not any sub-priorities, but priority, main and only priority, is Jesus. In other words, this word looking is actually very broad, or fixing, some translations, fixing our eyes is very broad. He's actually saying, don't even look as great as they are. Don't look at the witnesses, the cloud of witnesses. Don't look at the race. Don't look at the long journey. Don't look at the competition around you. Don't look at the obstacles that you've got to jump over. What you do to be fruitful, effective, successful in running the race is you keep your focus on one thing, and that's Jesus. Everything else you don't look at. Now, I'm not a runner, by the way. You probably know that. But I talked to some of my friends who have run. 5Ks. Why in the world you would ever want to do that unless you're being chased by a bear? I have no idea. Some people do. That's all right. If you do, that's great. Teach me. I actually would love to accomplish that. It's quite a feat. But if you talk to them, if you talk to any runner, they will tell you the same thing. I'm not looking at the people around me. I'm not looking at where, you know, the next obstacle right there. I'm not listening to the roar of the crowd, looking up in the stands, looking to see mom and dad, because I'll get, I'm focused on one thing. That's the end goal. Where I'm headed. And here's the reality, church. We have an assignment to go into all the world and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here's a few questions this morning as we wrap up. Is there an obstacle that you need to lay down? Is there an obstacle I need to lay down? A sin, an obstacle, a weight. Are you running? Are you running? Running is a very active word. Does it say, are you waiting on the race? Are you sitting on the race? Are you running? Active, moving forward. It's an action word. The race that is set before us. And you may say this morning, like myself, as I... Did a lot of introspection over these last few days. Maybe in some areas of your life you're running and you're running hard, but maybe you've been running in the wrong direction. It's easy to do in our world that we live in. I've said this to many young families and adults that are older. I would encourage you to pass along this tidbit of wisdom because you probably could do this just as 
well as I can, but it's interesting in our North American mindset, bigger is better, bigger is better, bigger is better, bigger is better, bigger is better. And what happens, and what happened with Lynette and I as a young couple, having kids and juggling all those things, is sometimes we were trying to get bigger, better, bigger, better, bigger, better. And sometimes what happens is, thankfully this did not happen for us, but sometimes what happens is, in the pursuit of all those things, in running to all those things, as the world tells us, you've got to have this, you've got to have this, you've got to have this. And we try to grab all those things that the world says we need in the process. What happens is sometimes we lose our kids, we lose our family, we lose our marriage, we lose this, this, and this, and then we wonder why. Be careful. The devil is a liar, a deceiver. He hates your guts. And he's going to put all these things that look attractive for you to pursue and to chase and to run after. Anybody tracking with me this morning? Y'all are looking at me kind of weird. If you want tons of testimonies about that, drop by my house. I'm happy to share with you hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of mistakes that I've made. You get into corporate America and you start climbing the ladder, climbing the ladder, climbing the ladder. And you get to the top and you turn around and look and you're like, wait a minute, the ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. I was supposed to be leaning on this wall over here. You say, Pastor Jack, how in the world do I figure that out? How do I know? It's called discernment. And the only way you figure it out is the same way I have figured it out. And it's walking with Jesus. It's being in His Word. It's being in prayer. It's surrounding yourself with brothers and sisters in Christ who can pray with you and speak into your life so you don't get down the road and have to make a U-turn. So are you running? No shame this morning. Because you may be saying, wow, that's me. I've been running, 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 but running in the wrong direction. No shame. There's no, there, there is therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. If you're feeling something, I hope and pray that it's the same thing I'm feeling, and that's conviction of the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit of God starts to kind of put His finger on areas and say, hey, here's some things maybe you should, you should think about. And while most of us, if we're into the sports stats, we would remember our friend Jim Marshall who ran in the wrong direction and caused a safety, there's a lot more to the life of Jim Marshall than that, just like there's a lot more to your life and mine, even though sometimes the world likes to highlight our mistakes. When Jim Marshall retired, he owned the most career records for the most consecutive starts in the NFL, 270. He had the most points scored for an opposing team by a defensive player, the most negative rushing yards by a defensive player, and the most games ever played in the NFL, all of which still hold as records for a defensive player in any position. Had a lot of records. And yet most people, if you Google him, the thing that pops up is his biggest mistake. Church, I want to tell you, thank God, praise be to God Almighty, that is not the way God sees you. He does not judge you by your greatest mistake. Because if you have asked Him into your life and into your heart and surrendered your life to Him, that is under the blood of Jesus. So this morning, as we wrap up, here's my invitation to you. Are you running in the right direction? What are you and I chasing? As I thought about our church and prayed for you guys, most mornings when we were praying together as a team, it was right about 6 a.m. 
which was midnight your time. So I was praying that you were having great dreams and sleeping well. As we were getting ready to start on our, our journey for the day. Uh, I thought about us as a church. I just want to mention some things real quickly and we'll close. All of us in this room, if we know Christ, we have a race He's called us to run. We have some things God's called us personally to do. But as I was thinking about this scripture for the last week or so and thinking about us as a church, we as a church have a race God has called us collectively to run. Let us run the race with endurance. Let us. So I want to share with you just real quickly, take me a couple minutes, four things I feel like that God gave me for our church family to share with you. Here, here they are, no particular order, but here, here's the first one for sure. The gospel of Jesus Christ must be the most important thing that we are focused on. It's the only thing, matter of fact, of eternal significance is the gospel. And when we think about that, everything that we as a church do whether it's ministries or programs or building or doing this or that, must be seen through the lens of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. That is why we exist as a church. So how are we doing? I'm asking myself, how are we doing? When you can start 28 churches in two years, this is, this is not stealing people from other churches. This is 28 churches of people surrendering their lives and hearts to Jesus Christ. What it tells me is, those people over there are singularly focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think our church is doing alright. Maybe we need a refocusing that that is the priority. That's the priority. Second thing I feel like the Lord shared with me is because we're focused in the gospel, every one of us in here who says we know Jesus has to be equipped to share our faith. I, I've only been here four years, so I don't know the long history, okay? But I'm making a promise to you as your, one of your pastors this morning. In the next year, one of our primary focuses is going to be equipping you to be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, for some of you, that may, may make you a little nervous. We have so com complicated it and convoluted it, which is why we don't make it a priority, because we've made it so complicated. By the way, I don't know if you've been to this restaurant. It's over in Malden. It's like right there across the street from the cultural center. It's like right there in the fork of the road. It's like a hole in the wall. There's only like three or four tables in there. It's called Nana's. And you go in there, best fried chicken you'll ever eat in your life. You see how easy it was for me to tell you about that? That's how we share Jesus. I love fried chicken, but I'm more excited about Jesus Christ. Little four spiritual laws are good, tracks are good, formulas, things in your mind to help you remember are good, but ultimately all you're doing is saying, I just got to tell you about something I'm excited about. And they have so simplified it over in places around the world, not just in Malawi, but places around the world, that people are going, I want that, I want that, I want that. It's easy. We just made it complicated. So my commitment to you is over the next year, we're going to show you some ways to do that. Now you got to show up for some of those where we're training and showing you how to do it. That's why the power of testimony is so important. By the way, next Sunday, 
We're, not, we're, we're having high attendance Sunday, not because we're about numbers, not because we're just trying to get people here. We're about trying to get people here to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's an easy thing for you to do to invite somebody who maybe doesn't know Jesus to say, hey, would you consider going to church with me next Sunday? By the way, they might not, which means it doesn't take you off the hook. That means maybe you're the one that's supposed to share Jesus. Maybe they could care less what the pastor who's here preaching on this church, who they don't even know, they could care less what he has to say. They really want to know what you have to say about Jesus because they know you. Number three, two more. Because we're focused on the gospel, every one of us, including this guy, must be growing in their faith so they can share the gospel. And that's why our Sunday school small group environment is so important. We can't, we can't do that with a, with a group this size. Although I've been tempted on many Sundays to say, everybody get into groups in threes and fours. Just preparing you for maybe the future. At the end of the day, church, I hope you hear my heart this morning. At the end of the day, God will judge what I have done here as he's called me here. On if I do what he's told me to do. The things that I'm suggesting and our staff is suggesting and our leadership, things that we're suggesting and we're moving towards and we're praying for and praying through have not been without prayer or the Holy Spirit's direction or seeking him. And it's not things to make us upset or uncomfortable or things that we want to change. It's because we feel like this is what God's called us to do. And it's not easy. And I said this probably a year ago. Forgive me for going a little bit long this morning. I just, I, I love you and I want to share some things with you from my heart. I said this probably a year ago that the longer I am here and our long tenured other pastors, Joey Estes, who has gone on to his next ministry assignment and Heath agreed with me the next week in staff meeting. The longer that I am here, the more I will love you, the more you will become my friend and the more you become my friend, the less I want to tell you the truth because I will start to value your friendship more than my role as a pastor. Happens in every church across America. So if you want to pray for me, and I need friends, by the way. I'm not saying I don't want to be your friend. I need friends. Desperately need friends. I need people who pray for me and care for me, as does all our staff. But if my priority starts to be, I don't want to offend them because they're my friend. I don't want to tell them the truth because they're my friend. And I start to walk away from sharing with you the absolute truth of what God's Word says and what He's calling us to do at a church, at that point in time, it's time for me to tender my resignation and say, See ya! And don't worry, I don't think that's anytime soon. Lord willing. So when I say and encourage you, Hey, please get into a small group community. Please get into Sunday school. It's because I know, I know, I know, and many of you that are plugged in could speak better than than me to this. I know what happens in that community. I know how God starts speaking to my heart. I know how I start relating to this person going, wow, God, I needed to hear that from them. And my heart starts being transformed and changed even more. As great as this is, and I love this, as great as our worship time together is, I will tell you, it is not enough for us to face the challenges we're going to face when we walk out the door into the world. It's not enough. And just being really honest, Sundays is not enough. I know culturally most of our churches have just gone to Sunday. September the 13th, the second Wednesday of September, we will start a Wednesday night program for every age group in this church. Now, the, the question is, are you, 
Is that a priority? Or will it be a priority for you? I hope so. There'll be some for every age group, some for children. There's always been some things for youth, Bible study and worship on Wednesday night. We'll have some things for adults, and we're going to be digging into some deeper things of the faith. So I hope if you can come that you will. The last one is this, number four, and we're done. What's God calling us to do as a church to run the race? Because we're focused on the gospel, we'll take the call of missions locally, regionally, and internationally seriously and move towards the vision of having 50% of our church family actually participate in an outside-the-country missions experience. Guys, I'll be honest, when I was at one of those places sharing the gospel, I, I, I thought nobody's going to respond. And when I gave the invitation, one person stood up, and then two, and then three, and then four, and then five, and then ten, and then twenty, and thirty. And I just started bawling. People are hungry and ready to receive the gospel. We just have to give them an opportunity. So I want to give you an opportunity this morning. Not an opportunity to join Crossroads. Oh, this is a great church. I'd love for you to be a part of our church family. Not an invitation or opportunity to walk the aisle, but but an invitation to receive the free gift of salvation that Jesus Christ offers. And what's interesting is I said to one of those groups, and I'll say quickly to us, a, a, a lot of us know about Jesus. We know about God. Pastor friend of mine said it to me one time this way. Uh, he asked me this question, how far is it from heaven to hell? And I thought, is this a trick question? Because I missed that biology class or that physics class. How far is it from heaven to hell? He said it's 16 inches. It's from here to here. Dear friend, there is a major difference in knowing all about God, maybe even knowing the Scripture, maybe even you could share Christ with somebody yourself, and actually knowing Jesus intimately, having a personal relationship with Him. It comes by actually receiving His free gift of salvation. If I said to my friend Stephen, I've got a brand new Bible, obviously this is not a brand new Bible, this is falling apart. But if I had a brand new Bible and I said, Stephen, I have a brand new Bible I want to give you, would you you like this? I've already paid for it, I've taken care of the price for it, I want to give it to you. And you can, take, you can have it. I need it back. Thank you. <laughs> it doesn't become his until he takes out his hand and he receives it. And my fear in the tri- of the church in America is a lot of us know all about Jesus. We know Jesus was God's son. We could quote scripture. We know the Bible front, forward, in between. We know everything there is about God and Christ, but we don't personally know him. And we've never, never, maybe, maybe a pastor has never given the opportunity for you to actually, oh, thank you, receive the gift. The gift does nothing if I go, Stephen, here's your new Bible. Here it is. Come get it. And next week is still there. And the next week is still there. And the next week is still there. So this morning, Maybe that's you. By the way, that's been me before. And you say, I need to receive the free gift of Jesus. It is that simple. It's going, thank you God for paying the penalty of my sin and paying the price for that free gift I just received. And because of this free gift that I received in Jesus, because you paid the penalty of my sin, the wages of sin is death. But this free gift that you've given me, Not of works, lest I can boast, but by faith, through grace, I accept it and I receive it into my life. If that's you this morning, I'm going to invite you in just a minute to come grab my friend Heath or myself and just say, I I want to pray that prayer this morning. No fancy prayer, no magical prayer, no formula. It's the sincerity of your heart, you just saying yes to Jesus.
Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray with thanksgiving in my heart this morning for you, for your word, for the salvation that you've paid for me. God, that is just the beginning. Receiving the gift is the beginning. The next step is to start on the race. Running the race that you have for me and you have for each friend in this room. Lord, I pray you'd examine every heart. Examine my heart this morning. If there's a weight, a sin, an encumbrance, an obstacle that's weighing any of us down. I pray in just a minute, Lord, we'd be bold enough to lay it at the feet of Jesus. Whether it's right there at our seat, confessing that, or maybe it's coming to the front. There's, just, there's something, Lord, I believe about just physically moving and leaving something up here at the front of this church just to say, okay, I'm leaving that with you, Lord. I'm laying it down so that I can run the race you've called me to. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, God, for crossroads. Lord, I believe you have an incredible future ahead for us if we will discern the God things from the good things. Would you help us? Would you help us? Please, Holy Spirit, I pray you give us wisdom, not just knowledge, but wisdom from you. And that you would lead us. And friend, while you're praying right there in your seat, maybe you need to respond visibly, physically this morning. Maybe in just a moment as we stand, Stephen's going to lead us in an invitation song, a closing song. Maybe this morning you just need to slip out, grab my hand or Heath's hand, or maybe you need to pray at the front and say, Lord, I'm laying this weight down because I want to run for you with no obstacles in the way. Maybe you'd come down this morning and say, I've been running in the wrong direction. But I'm turning around and I'm running to Jesus. Father, I pray you'd have your way during this invitation in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing together. The church family, if you need to respond to the Lord's leadership this morning, we'll be here waiting. Whatever God's called you to do. If you'd like to make Crossroads your home, we'll be here to greet you as well and welcome you into this church family. Let's sing together. Just as I Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Hope at Crossroads. We're so glad that you joined us for the message today. If Pastor Jack or any of our team can serve you, please reach out to us. You can send us an email at jack at hope at crossroads.org or by visiting our website. We would be most grateful to know where you are listening because we have people all over the world listening to our podcast. You can send us a message through our website. We would appreciate your prayers for us as we are in the midst of a building campaign to reach more children and families in our local community in Greenville County, South Carolina. If you would like to help, you can always make your gift online at our website, hope at crossroads.org. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Hope at Crossroads.